0: G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perrier columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up with Heavy Rare Earths. ASX code is HRE, trading at around 14 cents for a market cap of 9.5 million. Now, Heavy Rare Earths, listed in August last year after raising $6 million to advance its Coralina Rare Earth Project near Norseman in WA, where it has an established uh, mineral resource estimate of 28 million tonnes at 625 PPMs, TREOs of course. But the big news with this one is the growing scale of the project, thanks to the discovery of the Western Zone and more recent drilling uh, on almost a regional basis. We'll catch up with that in a second though. Now, I'll just mention though, as we know, rare earth prices have eased off in the opening months of 2023, but the supercharged growth scenario for rare earths, particularly the type that goes into permanent magnets for EVs and wind turbine remains. And of course we have China threatening all sorts of things about uh, what it might or might not be doing with its uh, control of the rare earth space that the Western world is increasingly worried about. Now, to give us a rundown it all, and bring us up to speed on what the company's doing, we've got Richard Brescianini with us today. Richard is the company's MD, and he'll be talking about the assignment uh, that's building at uh, Kowalina, and a rare earth project in the NT, which uh, will be getting some attention soon. So it's g'day to Richard. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. How are you going, Barry? No, Richard, you guys have been very busy over there. Um, give us an update on just where you're at now
1: we have been busy uh, since listing last year so you know the time between listing and now we've uh, we've drilled about twelve and a half thousand meters of air core. Uh, at Kallingnya, and that program was really broken up into two parts the the vast majority of it was uh, was drilling to expand our resource base, which you outlined earlier. And the second half of the program, the much smaller part of the program was to go and drill some uh, some holes, uh, shallow holes into Lines that had been cleared for us, uh, regional lines, and that really was to generate targets for future exploration, future delineation if, if, in fact, we came up with rare earths. So I'm happy to talk about both of those things today.
0: So we've uh, seen as uh, the year unfolds, uh, I'm going back to uh, mid-April, where you high-grade rare earth intersections in this western zone. And uh, let's talk, though, about the more recent results that you've had coming from the SA Lab and what that might tell us about the scale of this project so
1: we've just released some uh, some assays in the last couple of days or earlier this week and really those were the ones that were focused on these regional lines and I'm and I'm very very pleased to advise that uh, we've hit quite a lot of rare earths in uh, in some of those holes some of the intersections that we got uh, 12 meters at uh, 1690 ppm total rare earths uh, from 16 meters so very shallow hits seven meters at 1303 from seven meters 10 at 1286 from 16 metres, eight at 1175 from 31 metres, 20 at 977 from 20 metres, and, and on and on it goes, including including intercepts at a 30, 30 plus metres uh, thick uh, at, at uh, 900 plus ppm total rare earths. These are holes that have been drilled at around 400 metre spacings along these along these lines, up to 14 kilometres away from our, uh, our newly discovered Western zone. Mm. Now, it may be that these things are going to be linked in some way. It's very, very early now. We can't really say that at this point in time, but it provides an enormous amount of upside to build upon uh, what we've already discovered at Linear in the southeastern part of the tenement. I might add these, uh, these intercepts that I just quoted before are all located in the, uh, in the northern and north-central part of the, of the tenement. Tenements around 250, or a land position is about 250 square kilometres in size. And just to put that into perspective, our new Western zone discovery uh, near our Cowlinia South resource is only 13 square kilometres. Uh, but we're, we're, we're expecting uh, quite a material increase in our resource base on the basis of the Western Zone Discovery and, uh, and other areas around our Calinea South and North resources. So there's some, uh, some really, really good news that, as I say, we've just put out early this week. So it provides those, those new results uh, at, a, at a great distance from our, from our known areas are uh, mm. going to provide us with some blue sky upside, uh, some, some exploration targets uh, moving forward, uh, you know, potential for delineation drilling of more resources. And of course, uh, we, we now have received all of our assays from the entire program. And that is being you know, in the process of being submitted to a, uh, a resource consultant to prepare a new updated resource, which uh, we think we'll have out in uh, in the in the July period.
0: And there seems to be a distinct trend there of uh, higher grades than the current uh, MRE. Is That uh, that will hold together, you think, in the resource upgrade as well?
1: I think it will. Look, the first thing that we're really focused on is is tons uh, because at the sorts of grades that we're dealing with, you know, even up to 1,000, 1,500 PPM, we have numerous uh, numerous hits, high-grade hits, up to even seven seven 7,200 PPM total, where mm-hmm. it's over a couple of metres. So there's numerous high-grade hits throughout our resource drilling uh, that we've undertaken. And I think that has the... Uh, so so the first thing I want to really, really focus the minds of investors on is, is the size of resource, because even at those grades, even at those higher grades, you're going to have to have quite a lot in in resource to be able to build a development and produce enough rare earths on an annual basis for customers to take notice of you. I mean, you can't just go out there and produce 100 tonnes of rare earths per annum and expect expect to get funding for a project. You're gonna to have to produce several hundred tonnes per annum uh, and even in, in the thousands to get noticed so that you can you know, put off-take agreements in place, for example. So that's the first thing I want to sort of focus people's minds on: is that you're going to have to have, you know, potentially hundreds of millions of tons in resource at the grades at which we're dealing with, at the sorts of recoveries that we're expecting. That's the first thing. The second thing, of course, is grade. And you are right. Uh, we've been reporting over the last, I think, six or seven um, uh, announcements uh, from the uh, December through to uh, through to the current period. We've we've been. Uh, talking about some of the uh, higher grade hits uh, in excess of our 625 ppm resource grade. And there's quite a number of them. Um, I'm not sure how that's all going to uh, um, play out in the resource estimation exercise. I've done my own back of the envelope calculations, which are no way jork compliant. Uh, so I know what we're kind of dealing with. Uh, and I And I guess I could just say to investors, I'm uh, quite enthusiastic about the period ahead in the resource estimation exercise, and, of course, the possibility of a expiration target being declared at the same time, which takes account of some of these uh, further afield intercepts that I quoted earlier in the podcast.
0: Now, we are, of course, talking about uh, a clay style of deposit here, uh, what the clay mine in southern China, um, which underpins their dominance of the industry as it currently stands. So you're to, uh, obviously, uh, some big sheets of clay out there, but I was just wondering, can we call it ionic clay types at this stage?
1: I don't think we're dealing with the classic or, or exactly like the classic uh, Chinese, southern Chinese deposits where... Uh, the, the the processing of those uh, those deposits is you know, pretty agricultural the Chinese have been the Chinese authorities have been cleaning up those operations which is which is why they're now importing rare earths from Myanmar and Vietnam. that's another story um, uh, but no the, the, the metallurgical work that we've done tells us that we're not uh, looking to recover or to to uh, extract rare earths using ammonium sulfate or sodium chloride or the like. We're looking at an acid leach type situation for our particular rare earths in saprolite. And uh, there's, there's no use dressing it up any other way. Uh, it'll be an acid leach situation. I'm pretty comfortable about that. Having, having come from in my previous role um, at Arafura Rare Earths, um, that company is recovering rare earths uh, using phosphoric acid. So acid leach doesn't worry me in the least. Um, uh, there's a lot to play out in the metallurgical space when it comes to our particular project. We've only put one lot of results out there at this point, which were very, very positive. It basically told us that the sub 25 micron fraction hosts most of the rare earths. Uh, it also told us that we get around an average of around 82% of the magnet rare earths uh, re- recovering to concentrate uh, in that process uh, using using screens and cyclones. Uh, we get an upgrade of around two uh, on average in our rare earth grade, going from uh, run of mine to concentrate. And we're currently in the process of, of undertaking a whole lot of leach test work, which we haven't reported to the market. But that's going along quite well. Uh, and it is based on acid rather than ammonium sulphate. So to come back to the original point, no, I wouldn't class these as uh, or at least our development as, as ionic development, and I doubt very much whether you're going to see many of them come out in Australia. Um, I think most of them are are going to end up being acid leach type situations, mm-hmm. which again, I, I can see uh, spawning a completely new industry in Australia. So um, uh, I'm very, very comfortable with where our metallurgical work is going, and we'll have some more to say that in the next couple of months as we um, as we finalize. Things like uh, the conditions under which you would treat our material in terms of pH, in terms of uh, temperature and so on. So we're going through those tests right now. So needless to say, or or suffice to say, it's going well and uh, it's meeting my expectations.
0: For those of us without a chemical engineering degree like me, um, so we're still talking about a um, low cost type of mining scenario and low cost processing route compared to uh, what you see in the hard rock space? Yeah, well,
1: of course, at at the mining end of things, uh, there'll be no drill and blast. Um, It really is quite soft material. Um, Our our material's buried under uh, roughly... um, uh, 15 to 20 meters of overburden. The average thickness is about 11 meters in the western zone. So, you know, there's a big thick development of, of saprolite there. It's, it's free dig, as is the, uh, the overlying underburden. Uh, sorry, the, the overlying overburden, I should say. Um, so, that, that side sort of things certainly a lot, a lot cheaper. When it comes to processing, I think that uh, that the beneficiation of that material, I spoke about that earlier, we're getting an upgrade factor of two, will also be fairly straightforward and low cost. When it comes to acid leach, um, that all depends on the consumption of acid, okay? So we're looking at those numbers at the moment. Again, I can't say anything because we're in the middle of test work, but uh, the acid consumptions that I'm seeing are uh, very, very pleasing. So. Um, I'm not saying that we're going to have a low cost processing operation. I'm just saying that it's all heading in the right direction to potentially deliver a uh, an operation that will be financially viable. So a lot of it will, of course, depend on the price of rare earths. And um, so when you said in your introduction that you know, the rare earth prices have come off substantially uh, uh, this year, that is true. To be honest, I don't get too concerned about what the current price of railroads is. I'm more concerned about what the price of railroads is going to be in five years' time because um, to, to, to consider that, that a pro- project like ours or any other uh, clay hosted project in Australia is going to be in development any, any sooner than five years, um, I'd say that's fanciful. Um, so I'm more worried about, okay, what's going to be happening in future? But as you also mentioned, the, uh, the thematic is all around increasing or surging demand for rare earths for uh, for electrification purposes, electrification of transport, of uh, of energy and so on. Um, so surging demand, supply is going to remain tight, um, particularly for the heavy rare earths. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that the main source of heavy rare earths is other Chinese ionic clay deposits, the southern ionic clay deposits. They are being compromised for environmental reasons. They are now importing uh, rare earths from uh, great places like Myanmar. And if the world is relying mm. on Myanmar being the um, the source of its heavy rare earths, we've got a bit of a problem. So I think that heavy rare earths in particular, terbium, dysprosium in the magnets, uh, will be in, in uh, very, very tight supply for some time to come. Uh, so I would expect that all those things put together will see prices increase over time. And I'd be expecting something around the Eighty to hundred US dollar per kilo mark for the um, uh, for the magnet rare for or NDPR. Um, and for the main nd for the, for the main magnet rare it's being ndpr maybe maybe up to around a hundred dollars a kilo eighty to a hundred dollars a kilo and you're looking at several hundred dollars a kilo for um for turb- for, for dysprosium probably around the four to five hundred dollar mark and for and for turbium um, yeah you're looking at the thousands of dollars but having said all that most of his money' most of your money's made out of ndpr because that's where the bulk of the um that's most of the magnet is made up of NDPR. And most of our deposits have uh, have, have NDPR, much, much greater um, uh, amounts than terbium dysprosium. So um, I'd say prices will return to uh, a strengthening environment over time. And as I say, I'm more concerned about what prices are going to be like in five years rather than what they are today.
0: Yeah, the uh, supply situation is interesting. Um, different commodity, of course. But uh, look at uh, lithium, where we've seen the uh, Chilean government... Um, Talk about a partial nationalisation of the industry there. Um, we all dearly love our Chinese friends, but supplies from Myanmar obviously got issues around there. So projects like this, assuming it uh, gets to the starting stores, will be needed, you think, in four or five years' time?
1: I think they will. Uh, if, if ever there's going to be a time for these types of projects to be contemplated, I think it's, it's in a... Um, a very hot geopolitical environment where um, supply is going to be compromised by those, those types of issues, and of course, to meet the surging demand that, that mass electrification is providing us. Um, you know, up until recently, and I guess the leaders in the field are really IXR in Uganda and, uh, and AR3 here in Australia, who really started the ball rolling, it would appear, globally um, in the clay hosted space. There are a couple of other projects sitting out there in Chile. A couple are emerging in Brazil, one in Madagascar and so on. But, you know, these these first two that I mentioned are probably leading leading the pack. You know, the world hasn't been contemplating those sorts of, um, those developments outside of China at all uh, in any serious way for as long as I've been in the rear of space, which is, you know, going on to 15 years now. Um, its time is coming. The Australian government has begun to wake up I think to this opportunity as well, so I expect, and, and you're and you're seeing and you're seeing them assist developments, hard rock developments out there um, by providing uh, long-term low-cost debt uh, and other grants to, um, to to supercharge developments. That really hasn't started to impact the clay hosted space yet but uh, given the amount that, that we're seeing out in the public domain and, and the potential for developments around Australia, I would be gobsmacked if the Australian government weren't going to step in at some point in time and begin to assist companies like ours in things like infrastructure development, certain grants I'm, I'm a big fan of long-term debt um, which keeps your uh, which keeps your need to um, uh, to get out there and continue to tap your shareholders. For money in the development stage, um, so I think that there's going to be an opportunity, which is going to be almost irresistible for the Australian government and for like-minded governments around the world to um, to assist clay-hosted deposits because of the size of these things uh, that's that's beginning to emerge. So I think, from that perspective alone, uh, you'll see uh, much greater opportunities for clay-hosted. Um, projects moving forward. Um, And as I said earlier, I think the time is now just beginning to emerge, um, given that really there was no attention paid to them in past years. Now, um,
0: I did mention at the start, uh, an addition of a a Duke project in the NT. Um, It's a hard rock project, about 50 k's from Tennant Creek you got a drilling program coming up there or planned uh
1: nothing planned on drilling yet uh just come back uh, in the last few days for a from a reconnaissance visit myself okay. and a, another gentleman uh, got up there for the first time to take a look at what the um uh, access challenges are on the ground uh and there are some as you'd expect when you're sort of 50 kilometers northwest of tennant creek you're really starting to get out there um but the area has never been explored for rare earths. Uh, we have some ideas in relation to that, uh, um, as it relates to um, the possibility of those rocks to host uh, heavy rare earth uh, enriched xenotime deposits, similar to the Browns Range style in Western Australia, that Northern Minerals development. Um, so we've got some ideas as to and and some good reasons as to why we think those rocks could. Host those deposits. Uh, we went and visited a couple of uh, interesting radiometric anomalies while we we're out there. Uh, brought a PXRF out there with us. Um, uh, probed a couple of uh, couple of outcrops. Um, I think if these things are outcropping, they may have been found. But actually, then again, you know, we were sort of really getting out there, so it's quite possible that a lot of these areas haven't even been walked across. Um, having said that, uh, there has been some previous drilling on the tenement, not much of it. Uh, for uranium, actually, um, and as I say, we went and visited a couple of radiometric anomalies to see what the source of um, of those radiometric responses are, and um, yeah, we were we were pleasantly surprised with some of the results. I can't talk too much about it until we start seeing some results back. Uh, we took some rock chips and and so on, and um, we'll see what, what what numbers come back. But we're in a very early stage there, Barry, um, and we haven't planned a drill hole yet until we do some. I would say some surface geochemistry might be streams. It could be some um, some rock chip surveys. Uh, and we've really got to sort out what the logistic challenges are going to be there for us.
0: Okay, one to watch out for in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Richard, you've given us a, a great description on what the company's been up to, but uh, if I can I indulge you and just get you to bring it all together and give uh, investors a feel for what they should be looking at for before the year's up?
1: Well, before the year's up, we'll certainly have delivered as we had promised at our IPO stage, an upgraded resource for the Caldynia project. A bonus will be the expiration target uh, on the basis of the new drilling that we've just announced uh, or the results of the new drilling we've just announced. So investors can certainly look forward to that uh, within the next uh, six to eight weeks, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can also expect to see some more information around our metallurgical test work, which are, as I mentioned, earlier is going quite well and is certainly meeting my expectations and uh, beyond that um, yeah we hope to perhaps be on the ground for a a first really good look at Duke um, outside of our initial reconnaissance visit that'll be in the um, middle of the year early part of the second half of the year Uh, and investors can also look out for us uh, potentially getting out on the ground on a couple of new projects that, uh, that we've just picked up. They're both in application stage in Western Australia. Um, so there might be might be a chance it will be on the ground uh, taking a look at those uh, in the first instance. Again, both rare earth projects. We are um, maintaining our focus on rare earths. Uh, it's a really, really good space. It's only going to get better. Um, and I think investors can count on that.
0: Okay, there we go, folks. Very interesting story. Active explorer in the rare earth space um, one of the beauties of course is uh, its current modest market cap but uh, i think that will be changing as these uh, results uh, richard is referred to will be digested and uh, followed it up with, with some more so richard uh, thanks for your time today uh, very interesting story explained beautifully by yourself again and a bit of industry knowledge there passed passed on to us today as well so thanks for that and good luck with it all thanks barry cheers